This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast. And we've got another game lined up on Sunday this time against Leicester City. But we, we're still reading a little bit, after playing Chelsea last weekend and it was a close game. As everybody knows, the whole world's been talking about it, how the bees pummeled the Chelsea. And we came very close to actually getting a bit of a result. If it wasn't a draw, if it wasn't a win, we were very, very unlucky. But it's one of those things that happened, so... I've had a few days off where I've been able to chill out, I've been able to relax, and then I've come and I'm sitting here in the virtual joint with my chums, I'm here with the Laney Man, how are you doing? I'm good, I can't believe it's Wednesday already, if, uh, if we had a Saturday fixture I'd be getting excited all over again, so we've got an extra day to wait, but yeah, um, Chelsea, there's still, even three or four days later, there's still loads to talk about, so uh, looking forward to it, and uh, looking forward to chin wagging. Um, ahead of the Leicester game, which is going to be a blinder, I think. Yeah, yes, it should be as well. I've got Ali Malali in the house as well. Ali, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, I uh, enjoyed the last half an hour of the Chelsea game, disappointed by the result. Um, but yeah, lo- lots of positives to take away from that one. I mean, it was a very exciting finish. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, like I said, Chelsea game, we'll talk about that. Uh, we talked about that a lot on the, the, well, the Weekend Review podcast as well. If you check it out, Pride of West. London, very popular that podcast is getting as well. Actually, it's a, a short little snapshot in actually reviewing the game from the weekend. We get the opposition view as well. We had Chich from the Chelsea fancast giving his view as well, and we just give our bit of a snapshot on what we think, how, the, how it went down. We give our marks out of 10 for the best players, for the opposition, and for the Bs, and for the atmosphere, and stuff like that. So you should definitely check that out. But what we say is that we pluck some points out from that and we discuss it in today's podcast. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later. But, but this week is, uh, has gone past really quickly. I mean, it's been, it's been mad. Lady, what have you been up to? Uh, I went to the um, Black History event at uh, the Steam Museum on Monday evening. Um, that was the Brentford um, launched their their kind of uh, their, their their event, which was really really interesting. I'm, I'm sure we can have a chat about that a little bit later on. Marcus Gale was there. Marcus Bean was there. Um, any black player that was called Marcus basically was was there. And um, uh, yeah, it was it was it was really good. It was it was like a very open discussion. Um, a few awkward questions. 
a little awkward, but I kind of, yeah, people were asking the questions that needed to be asked. Um, what do you mean we were, asking, then, so we were asking some pointed yeah, well, questions? Well, yeah, me and you made a few people cringe, <laughs> probably, yeah. Okay, yeah, okay, let's do yeah, that. Yeah. And then, Tuesday, what did I do yesterday? I was, uh, was, and just coming back to that, actually, because that was actually quite an interesting evening, because, like I said to you, it's hosted by Brentford, and it's a Black History Month night. It's held at the Steam Museum as well, and like I said to you, um, you know, they had a, a history of, of, you know, a few black players that have played for Brentford and we, we talked about a number of issues the interesting one though is what we were talking about you know the knee in Brentford and why Brentford stopped taking the knee and then why they started taking the knee again and then they asked the question about Ivan Tony and his thoughts on taking the knee as well and uh, and it was really interesting conversation which again if, if we were here we'd have like a 10, 15, 20 minute piece about it and maybe it's something should be discussed a little bit later but it was talking about individualism and talking about how a person can decide what they want to do or what they don't want to do but I think the very important point about it is that it's like just because Ivan Tone decides that he's not going to take the knee, he's not deciding not to take the knee for political reasons, as they call it, or because he doesn't believe in the in the in the course. He's believing it in, for other reasons that he doesn't believe in. And the fact that some people try and jump on it and say, "Oh yeah, I told you, Ivan, they take the knee." I thought it's the wrong thing to do. It kind of was thrashed out that what that wasn't actually necessarily uh, the right um, the right thinking from people, you know. And I think the question was coming is like, you know, does Ivan Tony deciding not to do it um, empower these people to actually say, "Yeah, we told you we we're right," like, and I'm saying we we're right, which is actually not the case. There was also a really interesting chat by what's this guy called Joe Briggs who came up, who's an American, who is actually a a friend of Colin Kaepernick, who actually very famously took the knee a few years ago in America as well. And he came up with a really interesting little story about Colin Kaepernick's sort of journey from actually uh, his protest, which actually didn't start off with taking the knee, did it, Laney? No, it didn't. He he started off with with sitting down while while the the national anthem was was being sung before before the game. Um, and then he was persuaded by a, um, a, a veteran, an army veteran, um, to, to take the knee. Which taking the knee is something that um, military people do to uh, to, to remember and, and, and mark and mark their and pay their respects. So yeah, he, he explained that, and it was it was like a very kind of like the, the whole place went quiet and just listened to him. Um, uh, he was he was he was fascinating character, and uh, I w- uh, to be honest, I wish I knew he was coming. I'd love to have kind of uh, interviewed him a little bit afterwards, or kind of met up with him afterwards to find out a little bit more. But fair, fair play to to the you know the people that organised that because that was uh, a proper coup. Yeah, no, definitely. It was very interesting. And I think, you know, what I said, I'll put a little tweet out today saying that I think that the, that him, Joe Briggs, you know, his story, the story that he told needs to be told more because it was so matter of fact and it was kind of like, you know, there's this whole theory that people are making out that people are trying to kind of take over the world and try to politics and throw it in there. And he just explained it very simply. Look, you know, he, he, was, he was sitting down and everyone said, oh, you better not sit down, Colin. It's like, it's just not very good to sit down. Maybe you should just take the knee. It's a better thing to do. He's like, ooh, and that's how he did it. So definitely, we might talk about that another time, but I've got to move on because Ali's in the house here. And Ali must have thought that we're ignoring it. Absolutely not, you know, uh, ignoring <laughs> you at all, Ali. We're very interested to know what you got up to well, this weekend, these last few days, because this week's flown, isn't it? Oh, I, I don't know. I haven't really done that much exciting. I went and watched uh, my son play football on Sunday, and they won 2 0 and actually played quite well because, for a change, most of them didn't have hangovers. Um, <laughs> that's what happens if they get to under 18s. Um, and then, apart from that, I've not really done much, really. Just a bit of work, a bit of that, and 
mooched around, that's you know. Nice. Nothing nothing that exciting. Just uh, looking forward to the Leicester game, really. No, looking forward to the Leicester game. I mean, I went to, obviously, I went to the Black History on a Monday night. And I was, I'll, be, I'll be going out every night this week as well. It's Tuesday night, I was down at Fisher to see the Brentford B team play Fisher as well. So I met up with my chums, my Dulwich Hamlet, my Millwall, Arsenal, West Ham, you know, God, uh, Crystal Palace. There was all a load of us actually went down to the game as well and uh, went down to Fisher, which is a, a nice little ground, which is just literally just on in, in Rotherhide there as well. As you can see, the backdrop, if you see the photographs, we've got the backdrop of Canary Wolf, you know, with the lights from Canary Wolf, you know, at night, you know, with the bees playing there with, with Fisher as well. They call themselves the Fish. Um, record crowd for them in their new ground as well. They have 435 fans there, which for them is absolutely phenomenal because I think their, their crowd's normally about 150 or 200. So they were delighted. And to have a Premier League team visit them, they were just absolutely over the moon I, I even had myself a vegan burger there as well which was uh, they had all sorts of options it was it was quite funny actually I, I must admit I was a bit gutted I didn't actually I was going to record to do just a little mini snip podcast of that and I was gutted that I didn't do it because I, I bumped into a few sort of our characters there you know and there's, like, like, there's quite a few Millwall because it's uh, it's in, very much in Millwall territory and there's like oh mate are you doing it's like oh, well, I just live just on the corner there by the corner flag it's like right there he goes ah oh, it's great down there it's great down there Fisher like you know you should come down and I said yeah I might come down there again he goes ah oh, they've got everything they got vegan, like you know, that's the new thing now. The vegan, so we, we all eat vegan burgers, <laughs> didn't they? They've got, got this organic lager as well, this organic beer. And he's showing me this beer, and he's like swigging this beer and eating this vegan burger. This Millwall fan, and I just thought, Jesus, uh, the world's really changed, hasn't <laughs> Like, you know. <laughs> So uh, that's just that's just one bloke though, Bill. You yeah. know, he's only only have a million people to convince. Well, no, which is well, listen. It just goes to show you that it can be done. You know, it comes from a little bit of just people being open, a little bit of education. And you know me, I'm always Ooh. a glass half full person. But anyway. Talking about matches, I mean, we're going to talk about the Leicester game a little bit later. We talk about the Chelsea game that we had as well before. But what I want to talk about is Christmas because, like, our Christmas, our Christmas schedule is has gone all over the place, hasn't it, like Laney? Yep, it's it's been it's like it's Christmas sprinkles. Yeah, they've sprinkled our fixtures uh, all over the place. And I think you know when the fixtures did come out, I don't, I don't think it was any of us that thought that they were that was ever going to be set in stone. Because we were looking at them, going, "Oh look, we're playing on a Saturday every, every week," and you know we've only got two midweekers like the whole ca- or the whole campaign. And we thought, well, that's obviously just like the holding schedule schedule. And then when when the when the you know the the season starts to progress and you find out how teams are doing and the, obviously who's been taken over which games are the you know the what the, the six pointers which ones are the relegate then they then the TV people start to get their, their their claws into it so they seem to have got their claws well and truly into ours um, between the, like almost like the last day of November and the first few days of January so yeah all change, as they say, ding ding. Uh, I mean, all change. And what I say is that there's eight fixtures between, in effect, it's the first of December and the first of January as well. So we had eight fixtures, um, which were in, which were which were put out there on the fixture in the in the fixture well on the fixture calendar. And uh, and during these days, we had BT Sport. We've got Amazon who've come in and they do their sort of December kind of like, you know, just mop up a load of games in December as well. And obviously we've got Sky. So as a result of that, seven of the eight games have now moved where the first game, which was on the 1st of December, has moved, which is the Tottenham game, has now moved to the 2nd of December. And the last game, which was uh, on New Year's Day, which was the Aston Villa game uh, at home to Aston Villa, which was on the 1st of January, is now moved to the 2nd of January as well. And in between there, all the other games 
other than the Southampton game, which is still three o'clock on a Saturday, on the Saturday, the 18th of December. They've all moved. Now, I saw a lot of mumberings. A lot of people are very upset. You know, a lot of people said that this has really affected them. And uh, and listen, listen, we're all the same. We're all in the same boat. And uh, this is something that I think that we feared quite a lot when we were in the championship because we've seen, you know, how our Premier League chums really struggle because at the end of the day they don't get too excited when they get their fixtures out because they know that the fixtures are going to really move whereas in the championship even though they moved a bit unless you're Leeds United your fixtures pretty much stayed the same and then every now and again you know a fixture moved you know left or it moved right a little bit due to Sky being interested in you you know when we became Sky Sports Brentford they uh, they, they tucked right into us actually didn't they you know but these seven dates, and I'm just just wondering, you know, how much of a, an issue has they been? I know we've got some people who work shifts and they try and put their shifts in and around the fixtures. But then there's a flip side saying that we, we kind of always knew that there's going to be some sort of movement, especially in December, you know, because uh, well, just because there's so much TV. And I'm just wondering, I mean, Ali, how, any games here that have caused you a major problem? Uh, if I'm perfectly honest, the only one that, for me personally, and I know this is, I'm very lucky, it's not the same for many, for a lot of people, is the Brighton game of Boxing Day, which was always going to be a nightmare because no trains, um, you have to park miles away from the Amex. But eight o'clock, when you've got to park miles away from it, is sort of like, you're not getting home to two, three in the morning. It's that's, that's a, that's the one for me, and I think for a lot of people, that is the, the, the worst, the worst of them. For sure. I mean, the Spurs game moving a day doesn't really change much for me. Same same with Watford. I'm lucky. Leeds I won't be able to go to now. Um, but that, but for me, quite lucky that really it doesn't affect us, us too badly. Um, but, you know, like you say, some people who work shifts and plan their shifts around it, it must be an absolute nightmare to try and try and work it out and then try and change stuff. And Yeah, but the, for me, it's the Brighton one that sticks out. Yeah, and and I suppose it's so many games being moved because sometimes I suppose yeah. if you've got one or two games being moved, you could probably work around it. I think with a lot of people, it's trying to work out. I mean, I, I, I think again, one of our our rings. I think this is one of the South Coast bees. He just said, you know, the fact that so many games have moved, there's three games out of those ones that he actually just can't get out of. So, but the, the question I'm going to ask, and I'm, again, we're not being unsympathetic here. I'm saying is that when you get this kind of movement, do you always get a scenario where some people are going to suffer? Where other people might gain for it, so you know, you see, see some people that say, "Oh, that's great! I, you know, I couldn't go to it originally on the Saturday, but now I can actually go to it. It's on the Sunday or it's on the Friday night." So, do you get that balance up and and, and kind of you know does again in a real Brentford fashion? Does it kind of work itself out over the sense over, over the space of a whole season, Laney? Yeah, yeah, it, it probably does, um, and it depends how organised you are, and it depends how your life needs to be planned. Uh, ahead or or, or, or or doesn't you know m- myself you know um, I've, I've not bolted down any other arrangements for, for for that month so I'm I'm all right and I haven't got to worry about scheduling six or seven other people and kids and football games you know that it, I, I personally you know I, I basically I just went oh, okay well it's not there it's there the one that really really bothers me is the Man City game you know, it moves from eight o'clock to eight fifteen, and you know, I know I planned to get the train, uh, and 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 I have to get a different train now. So that fifteen minutes has just completely and utterly just done my head in, Bill. No, hold on a second. Hasn't the Man City game also moved back a day? 
the Man City. No, it's just 15, it's just fifteen minutes, isn't it? No, it's just a change of time. I think. Oh, is it? Oh, okay, well, okay. Yeah. Right. Which I think is out of all, out of order, to be honest <laughs> with you. I mean, I, I was going to get the I was going to get the you know a completely different train, and I've got to get the the one afterwards now instead of the one I was going to get. So fifteen minutes, mate. I mean, they're just taking the piss. Yeah, I mean, just coming back to you know the Boxing Day game, which is the one which a lot of people. Um, has, has really kind of you know it's got it's got has got them just because a lot of people saying it's going to make it really difficult now for me I mean I'm, I'm lucky because it's just just by coincidence I happen to be in Brighton for the whole of Christmas and uh, Boxing Day and, and after as well so I rang up the TV companies I said to them look if you can do me a favour you know so anyway um, you know brown envelopes do do their thing as, as we all know you know and uh, I'm not saying Qatar or no I didn't say anything mm-hmm. like that at all but we should move on. But Brighton um, was always going to be a nightmare. So if you think about it, games normally used to be at Boxing Day at one one o'clock, and Boxing Day mm. one o'clock games kind of were sort of all right because you, I used to have a Boxing Day do. But if you had a one o'clock game, you'd be able to go to the sort of Boxing Day evening do, which started at five or six o'clock. So that kind of worked out for us. Only if you're playing at home. If you're playing away, Boxing Day games were a bit of a nightmare. But we didn't actually have that many. You know, we didn't have no. a lot of Boxing Day games, have we? No, we were we were at home for years, literally years on the trot, four or five years on the trot. We were at home on Boxing Day, and I think that for, you know, I think then all of us they throw in one away. I think Bristol weeps. Oh no, Bristol City. That was a, that wasn't Boxing Day, was it? That was a New Year. I can't remember which one it was. I think the one that threw the schedule was actually the home game, the Villa game that they moved to seven forty-five. I think that was a. Well, about three years ago? Well, this is what I was going to so, say. So I remember, again, I was in Brighton for that one as well, and I, I actually, actually hooked up with Hove, um, um, and Doug the Hove B, actually, and I watched it in the pub with him then. But what I remember is that our chums from uh, Aston Villa, you know, actually rang up and they said, look, you know, the game's been moved. We're going to come down anyway. They just basically hired a coach because they couldn't get any transport, came down, went down the Globe, got down the Globe about one o'clock in the afternoon, stayed there all day, went to the game, and they took the coach back. And I was thinking at the time, I was thinking, cool, blimey, you know, they, fair play to them. You know, they actually organised themselves to make sure that all their lot will come down, but they had to organise a coach to do it. But we've never been in that situation that we've had to do that. So what I'm trying to say is that, that Boxing Day has always been an issue. So to me, if it was a one o'clock game, it would be an issue. If it was a five o'clock game, it would be an issue. Maybe it's probably slightly less issue for some people, but basically it just wipes out the rest of the day if it's a five o'clock game because beforehand or after, and afterwards you can't do anything, you know, family-wise or anything like that. So in a, in a strange way, the eight o'clock game, even though it's a pain, you kind of know we've got to get down there. So if we have to drive, we have to drive. And, you know, if you have to do stuff or family stuff earlier in the day, you can still do stuff up to sort of kind of 12, one o'clock and then, you know, leave and get down there and still do your thing. So I'm trying to do a bit of a glass half full thing saying here, Listen, it is a pain, but Boxing Day was always going to be a pain. Yeah, it was always going to be a pain, and you know the, the lack of public transport. Um, even if you know, even getting, even if there was a train from Vox uh, from Victoria to to Brighton, still getting to Victoria is going to be a nightmare because there's no there's no other public transport. So, and, and even if they laid free coaches on. I can't. I can't actually get to Brentford to get the free coach. You know, so it's going to involve some sort of drive, and 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 it's probably it, it, an evening kickoff. Whether it be five, six, seven, or eight, is is an equal ball ache. But the eight o'clock one really means you're going to get back really, really late on on Boxing Day, um, and and I think I think that's probably uh, the the biggest gripe for me. Um, and, I, and I've got to make a decision now with really do I want to 
would it be nice just to watch it with all my extended family uh, and make a make an evening of it rather than actually go there and make an evening of it and you know not be with the family so you know different people are going to have different decisions to make um, and I, I, just, I just think it makes it slightly more awkward rather than any more difficult if you know what I mean yeah indeed so listen we, we'll probably talk about this more in the weeks to come but we need to crack on because we need to talk a little bit about that game at the weekend that phenomenal game at the weekend and then we're going to talk about the Leicester game as well so look we're going to go back we're going to have a little drink we're going to have a little break we're going to come back and talk about Chelsea so Chelsea match on Saturday and what a game everyone's been talking about this game there's all sorts of stuff going on as well. It's a, it's a bit of a shame as well. You probably might have seen actually as well. There's a feature, Match of the Day 2. Uh, myself, Nathan, Kate and the Comedian. And uh, quite a few of the Besotted crew as well actually were <laughs> shown on the TV. Ooing and ooing every time Brentford should have put a ball in the back of the net actually. It was quite a nice little feature. It's about five minutes long. And it's just a, another one where actually Phil Giles on it and, and Rasmus Ankerson as well. And just basically just giving... Um, telling the world what Brentford is all about and it's a bit of a shame that actually we didn't get a result out of it so that we could have actually kind of been be a little bit prouder as well but it's just a nice little piece there like I said to you sort of a people's faces every time the ball should have hit the back of the net and it didn't do and they sort of captured it quite well but like I said to you chat chat match of the day too you'll get that on replay from about 38 minutes I think it is was the Brentford section on that but the game itself wow what a game I mean let's just go over to the fans let's hear what they had to say because they had a lot to say after that game when we should have but didn't quite beat Chelsea we were just throwing everything at it at the end uh, I thought we were magnificent that was a really really great 1-0 loss I mean I just saw great football from us we can play against any team in this league and give them a game ok we're not going to win them all Chelsea were superb but uh, we, we were superb as well and we never gave up, took it all the way to the last few minutes. And uh, yeah, just uh, so unlucky not to end up with a draw, I thought. A real credit to Thomas Frank, you know, on his third anniversary of joining the club. He really sort of, we've been critical in the past possibly about his substitutions or whatever. But this time he really went for it, really tried to give it a go. I mean, we slugged it out toe for toe with the champions of Europe. And we should all be very, very proud of what the club did tonight, despite that result. It really was a fantastic performance. The Chelsea keeper probably won man of the match as well. So, you know, let's have no criticism at all. You cannot fault the players. To a man, they play their hearts out. It really was an impressive performance from a team that is on the up. And boy, there'll be other teams in the Premier League worried about this. When we came into this division, we, we, we were worried about surviving. We've, we've just gone toe-to-toe with the champions of Europe. The best team we've seen here, they looked better than Liverpool, I thought. And we battered them for the last half an hour. And, and they couldn't handle it. And, and, and our tactics were spot on. And our team were brave. And, and the first half was hard at times. But we stayed in there. And, and yeah, it makes you proud to support this team. What a long way we've come, eh? Brilliant. It's the day we arrived in the Premier League, to be honest, even though we lost. You know, we've had some great performances so far and some good results. But that second half was unbelievable. Yeah, we went toe-to-toe with the Champions of Europe. And, uh, and absolutely fucking battered them in the second half. Champions of Europe have come to Brentford. Yes, they've dominated possession. We've let them have it. But tactically, 
we're so switched on that we, we knew how to play against them and we were unlucky not to get something out of that game. They basically gave everything that last 20 minutes and I just, I just feel that if, um, if we had a little bit of luck on our side, maybe a couple of decisions from the referee, um, you know, we could have maybe got a draw, maybe or even or even won it. But we uh, unfortunately we conceded the goal at the worst possible time, like in the 45th minute. Um, but yeah, I think they can be really proud of their performance the second half, and um, they can use that positive and uh, take it into the Leicester game, 100%. We stood in there and we battered the champions of Europe for 25 minutes. I cannot stress enough how much I mean we battered them. I think if it had been a, I saw something Lineker wrote in it, if it had been a box match, we would have knocked them out. But unfortunately, this is football, it doesn't work like that. And we couldn't get the knockout blow, we couldn't get on level terms. But when that full-time whistle blew, blew I genuinely have never been so proud of this club. Like... We were so good. Every single man on that pitch put 100% in. And I feel for them so much because I think out of any result that I've seen in the last seven years, this was the most unjust because I think they deserved the one all. But we have to look at it. I think two weeks ago, we didn't really deserve a win. We got three points. Today didn't happen. Swings and roundabouts. But God, as a Brentford fan... I feel so proud of that side. They deserve all the love they're going to get, not just from us. Everybody else is starting to notice. Even Paul Merson, the sour, sour crowd, is starting to say positive things about Brentford. And that is a sign of what's to come. I love this club. I love what's happened. Peace out. Come on, you bees. You bees, you bees. So there you go, fans, after the Chelsea match. We lost, but a lot of pride, like, you know. Uh, listening to the Leeds podcast, actually, uh, the Square Ball, <laughs> and they, they were talking about us, and they were sort of saying how we kind of like, you know, how we sort of kind of we turn it an, an, a loss, and we, we we're sort of kind of taking the moral high ground when we have a loss, and we should, we should be just bemoaning losses, and they're like really unhappy that we're actually happy that we've lost, like you know, what I'm saying I just thought not be funny Leeds, but maybe you should be talking about yourself. So that was on the Square Ball podcast <laughs> a few days. I think it's yesterday in the one nil Southampton loss podcast, like you know, but I just. I think it's quite interesting that you've got teams like Leeds and big podcasts like Leeds Square Ball actually talking about us because uh, obviously we're, we're on the, very much on the radar, aren't we, uh, aren't we, Ali? Oh, yeah, very much so. Um, it's sort of like they, they were ra- rant- raving about us on Match of the Day too and, and on Match of the Day, really, to an extent. It was, um, and, and rightly so, I think that last 20 minutes we completely outplayed Chelsea and, you know, Pretty much any other goalkeeper, I think we would at least have got a draw out of it. And it's quite, you know, fairly frustrating. But I think what we can take away from that game and indeed most this season is that we're not making up the numbers in that Premier League. Um, we're going to t- we've gone toe to toe with the champions of Europe and gave them a right scare. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think anybody could have had any complaints if we'd come away from that with some points. Again, I mean, come away with that some points. I mean, we'll come on to the winker as well. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But, you know, there's an argument to say that, you know, and even though Chelsea might say that's not true, because if you listen to the Chelsea podcast, and the Chelsea podcast has actually been quite, I'm um, tipping their hat. They were beforehand, both Chelsea Fancast and London is Blue podcast, which listen to both of them. And, uh, you know, friends of the friends of the Besotted podcast, they are as well. But they actually tipped their hat to us and they said, look, fair play to Brentford. They did what they had to do. The first half, we were in control of that game and maybe we should have put the ball away and then we wouldn't have had to worry in the second half but what they said is that they had the fear 
that fact that Chelsea actually completely lost it. And if they're a team who's meant to be winning the championship, you know, to winning the Premier League, and the fact that they actually completely lost the plot against Brentford, and we had a team, teams like Brentford, who completely hammered them in the second half, that actually kind of that that kind of worried them, didn't it, Lainey? Yeah, and we, we've talked about us being clever uh, several times now. And it, it, we, we, we have got the ability to just flip it up. And, and that's exactly what we did in the last 25, 30 minutes onwards. You know, you, you could argue all the time we were playing them, you know, in a more uh, uh, traditional setup or, or, you know, just going pl- pl- playing football with them. Um, they were always going to be streets ahead of us, you know, of course. And then the, ne- the minute we upped the tempo, started getting more direct, longer, uh, higher intensity. The press got pushed further and further towards their penalty area. Then, then, then they start to think no one else does this to us. And then they're not quite sure how to cope with it. So that's that's what we saw. Um, and you're right, I thought London is blue. Um, they, they said that we are a lot better than Manchester United at the moment. And I and I you know I'm not I'm not picking that out to say Brentford are better than Manchester United. I'm not an idiot, but what I'm saying is you know we we are we are punching at that level. You know we we, we punched above our weight for for years now, and this this is why Leeds United are getting salty with us. They're they're not obsessed or triggered. They're 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 kind of troll words. So I won't use those. But what I say is they're they're envious. Um, they know that we're we're enjoying our football. They kind of a little bit green eye because we are the the new Leeds. We were like Le- what Leeds were doing last year, but I think we're even better than that. I, th- I think we, we we've achieved what we've done without without predictability, and I, and, I, and I think there's that. I think a lot of people are sharing in our in our joy at the moment, um, and it's just, it's just I'm going to revel in it. So um, yeah. Days, mate. Yeah, and I'm not, and again, I've, I've been doing quite a lot of listening in the last few days, and I listened to another podcast, and I can't remember which one it was. It might be in the Football Daily BBC podcast, where they, interestingly, they started to talk about, talk about Brentford, as people do, but whatever podcast it was, they actually talked about Thomas Frank, and this person started to talk about Thomas Frank as a tactician, and a person who is, basically said, look, Brentford are a good team. But we think it's, and not say all about, but they think it's about the manager because they said that. that and, and I think, if I remember right, like they said that, that the Brentford needs to worry that Thomas Frank could, within two or three years, be working at one of the top six clubs because he's the type of uh, manager who sh- very much could be because he's very, very clever. And they said that Brentford, you know, they're a great side, but, you know, you take a, one player out of Brentford team, you sell another player, you do this, and that's just one out what happens to Brentford. But they said if you take Thomas Frank out because they said that he is very much instrumental on in how we play, how he switches up the game, how they change tactics, what, twice, twice, three times, four times within a match. And they said that he's just, like, he's just so much cleverer than a lot of the people that they're coming up against. So it's interesting that all of a sudden Thomas Frank is really now starting to get the props and people actually kind of know, you know, well, they know about him. And, you know, and I'm going to say something which is, uh, you know, probably slightly controversial because you know how I am. I love me England and I've really backed me England team and I've backed me England manager because I think Gareth Southgate has done 
absolute marvels and wonders for England in bringing England uh, and the whole country together under an ethos which other managers didn't or wouldn't do. Um, but you know the Euros are over now, and we're going into the World Cup, and he hasn't signed a new contract. And a lot of people, a lot of my mates, are going, "Oh, Scarif hasn't signed a new contract. Oh, you know, is he going to go? Is he going to?" And I just argued, and I said, "Well, you know, I really love Scarif. He's good, but if he, did, but if he decided to leave." Then he decides to leave. I would argue to say that, and I think a lot of people say, "Oh, Bill, we said this before," but it's, that's not the point. The point is that Gareth's in place now. This other managers who tactically I think could probably take the England team different to where we are now. And I think that if Thomas Frank, if somebody offered Thomas Frank the England job, which I'd hate that to happen now, I think that he could have he could take the England team very very far. Controversial, Laney. Uh, yeah, um, unlikely as well. And but I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not poo-pooing what you said. You know, there's, there's, you know, it, it would be an intelligent decision. I, I think you're right. I'm, I'm not saying you're wrong, but I, it's not going to happen. Um, and, and, but it's not, listen, we're not talking about not happening. No, 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 no. no, no. I, 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 if he was given that team, no, no. I think it, that well, I've just, I've just said exactly. I, I just said like it's an intelligent thing to say, and and he could do that. I, I'm saying it, but it won't happen. But what what we have got to worry about is that what we've got at the moment is is it it could be disrupted you know you've got Newcastle United looking for a new director of football well um, you know Phil Giles is a, a Geordie and um, you know I'm sure I'm sure his phone has rung you know there'll be there'll be idiots you know if you've got all the money in the world you 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 would ring him and just even just to sound him out is that we, we sh- whether there's a cause to be worried about that or not, or you know, we'll find out. Um, and then Thomas Frank, he, he's in, he's in the shop window. Whether it is an actual shop window or not, um, it's probably the next Danish national manager rather than the English national manager. Um, but he is is going to be in demand. Um, and the same with Rasmus, and the same with all of our talent. You know, whether it's the coaches. Um, and you know Matthew Benham may look to to sell, or you know th- things change. Nothing nothing stays the same forever. What I'm saying is, you know, um, our success normally with our players means they move on to bigger clubs, um, and we might find that people headhunters come in looking for the bigger talent, and the bigger talent being the ones that have orchestrated the success we're having now and uh, the, the, the whole point of our club I mean obviously like you say when Warburton moved on the whole idea is that there's no man bigger than the club and so when Warburton thought that he was bigger than the club we had to go separate ways and we sort of kind of built, built an, an infrastructure around ourselves and an ecosystem which has basically made the fact that you know that what the club is all about is the most important thing then we get people to slot in and obviously Phil's very important and Rasmus very important and all these people are very important but uh, how big a, a, a loss will it be if they do go, I'm just wondering, Ellie. And I'm not, listen, we're talking hypothetically now, but everyone's talking about it, you know, and we are all Brentford. Or is it something where we're such a family and the importance of these guys is so massive that the club will basically put so much, you know, they'll give them so much responsibility and maybe finance them in such a way that they'll actually turn around and think, actually, why would I go to Newcastle where I could possibly be out of a job in two years' time? Whereas I know here, you know, I could be in a job for a very long time. Even Mark Wilburton has actually said in an interview in the last couple of years, if I just basically just did as I was told, I'd still be in a job now, he goes. And, and, he, and he admitted that. So I'm just wondering, Ali, what do you think? I, I, you know, I think you look back and 
we've survived everybody leaving at management level. You know, like you said, we, you know, I remember going back to the league one day, worrying about uh, what would happen if Uve, you know, oh, Uve's going to get poached by somebody at some point. And at the time, it seems like, you know, it seems like it's going to be a big deal and it's going to be a problem. And the same with Warburton and to an extent, the same with Dean Smith. And if I go back for me, um, about a year ago when we had the whole thing with Madsbeck playing at left back and we couldn't win and I do remember saying and I probably said it on the podcast Thomas Frank's problem is that he can't change tactics during a game and as suddenly we're talking about him as a great tactician who changes tactics two or three times during a game so I think it would whilst losing him or losing Phil Giles or losing Rasmus would be a huge loss I don't believe for a minute that uh, Matthew Benham, none of this has ever has not occurred to him and there's not some sort of plan in place if any of these things happen. You know, I, 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 Thomas Frank said the other day, why would he leave Brentford? Because he's got so much going for me. He was asked a question in a press conference. He said, well, why would I? Because I've got all these things going for me and I don't think I'd get that at another club. So obviously it's still an attractive proposition to them to stay. But, you know, people start throwing silly money around. It's difficult to say no. But you know, I, I, there'll there'll be some sort of plan in place. Wh- whatever happens, I'm confident of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, this is all hypothetical talk. I mean, just coming back to the game as well. You know, just to throw in there as well, there was a couple of injuries which kind of worried us a bit. You know, Visa, the, the bench was looking a little bit, as we call it, light. You know, um, Risa, who's a, who's a super sub, he wasn't even on the bench for this game as well. We had Aya, who uh, had come back, but he wasn't on the pitch, but he was on the bench. And then we had Yanelt, who just disappeared. He just wasn't there at all. And again, that kind of makes you a little bit worried because I think that Yenel, and I'm not taking anything away from that team who are fantastic in that Chelsea game. You heard the clips from the fans, very excited. But, you know, if Yenel was in that game, I mean, that was a Yenel game, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and especially in that second half, that was a Yenel game for him to pop up and just pop a goal in the back of the net. That was really one of his, you know, listen, it's one of those things that we missed out on. So I'm just wondering, but, but from what I've heard, they're saying that, I mean, I think that, What's his name? Risa got a. He got a. I think something happened in training on the, on the Friday before the match. Okay, and, and we've seen him in a boot. He's in a protective boot. Um, yeah, now mystery injury. As they said, I thought he'd be back. You know, the feeling is that these players aren't going to be out for too long. But we, we hear that quite a lot, and it's not necessarily the case. But that's the that's the that's the besotted word that we've heard that these players aren't going to be out too long. Does this worry you a little bit, though, Lenny? A little bit, but we did perform well without them. Um, we would, you know, we would have got a draw against any other team, I, I think, um, and it forces into a, it forces us into a bit of rotation. So, you know, them being injured is them resting as well. I, it, uh, I this, this this swings and roundabouts. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me in a defeat is we didn't hemorrhage goals, so our, our you know our goal difference is still positive and looking really healthy. You know, the last thing you need is like to miss four players and then like lose minus four goals as well. So, um, yeah, I, I, I hope you're right. I hope we can go to the Leicester game, which I'm I'm slightly concerned about. You know, they just won four three tonight in Europe. They score, they can score goals. Um, so we we need to have our, our you know our A team there, and uh, you know having Yanelt back and and having I uh, and Aya back, they're, they're they're big parts of how we how we sort of start the game in a in a proactive rather than a reactive mode. 
Yeah, okay. So, look, coming back to, like I said, to your weekend review, if you check it out, PradaWest.London. Really, like I said to you, I'm quite proud of this little, little podcast, which is going down very well. Like I said, we've got all little sort of sections that we talk around. Okay, and one of them is the stinker of the match. And we, we brought up our stinkers of the match, and we had a couple of people actually write into us, and they were not very happy with us because they said to us, how oh, come you didn't talk about what we thought? Well, the stinker of the match was. We had Mike who said, you missed the stinker, which was the non-penalty when Chebola took out Tony in the box. Photos from Sky coverage seem to point out that Tony was not offside. VAR should have picked that up. And also Anthony Ballard as well, sort of big friend of the pod that actually is giving us support all the time. Thank you, Anthony, for your support there. Please see attached. And he said all sorts of diagrams and everything Ooh. regarding the Stonewall Tony penalty not given because of being flagged falsely offside. Why was this not checked with VAR? We were all confused. And I'll tell you something, we are all confused because I remember at the time when uh, Tony went down, we went, that's penalty. And then he didn't give it. We were like a little bit confused. And we're like, why has the flag gone up? And it's like the offside. And I thought, okay, fair enough. Because we're behind the goal, we don't know whether or not it is or it isn't. But as, as it's come and it's come past afterwards, we heard that the offside wasn't right. So the penalty technically should have been given. Now, we've gone around with asked questions left, right and centre as to why VAR didn't check it. Because I think actually at the time also, we thought there'd be a VAR check. And uh, the game just carried on. And uh, we've even asked within the club, you know, within the coaching team, and we said, you know, why was there not a VAR check? And the question was that they were like, as far as I'm concerned, it's a penalty. You know, as far as I'm concerned, it wasn't offside and uh, there was no VAR check. But the feeling is also is that even if there was a VAR check, it probably wouldn't have overruled the referee because he kind of made a decision, which is a bit of a shame. But that, 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 that was... I mean, talk about turning points. We actually didn't put the turning point in in the in the weekend review podcast. Actually, I, I fluffed it. I missed that one out. Actually, but that that was a turning point, wasn't it, Laney? Yeah, I, 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 I don't think I don't, we're in a bit of a strange position, aren't we? Because like we we're, we're at the game and we, we don't we don't see the replays and we we don't we don't we're not privy to kind of like what's being said and we you know with the VAR lines. We don't know what's going on back in the studio, so. You know, assuming the you know the people who raised that have, 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 have either watched the game back, um, recorded it, or were actually watching it on TV, they, they, they're probably more they probably know more about the game than we do actually when we were at the game. But I, I remember turning to you and saying, "This will be checked. This this they, they will be checking whether that was a penalty." Um, and then, to, but for but for VAR to get two decisions wrong. If, assuming that the, the photographs we've seen are correct, is is it's, it's pretty bad because we rely on VAR to kind of be the perfect arbiter of, of fact. You know, like, it's been forced upon us. Well, last year it was like whether your you know your the, the hairs on your knee were were you know offside, which made you offside. Um, I know they've changed it, and they've, they've the, 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 the kind of the, 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 they've broadened the the trigger points, which I think everyone's welcomed. So it's not kind of quite so picky. But however, you know, if he's onside, then he's onside, and then if it's a penalty, it's a penalty. You can't get both decisions wrong. I mean, I, th- I think it was a foul, and, and he wasn't offside, and so I, I think we've been. It would appear that we've been done over a bit on that one. Ali, your thoughts? I I suspect that because it was flagged offside, they didn't check it for a penalty. And then they didn't go back and check the offside, is what I think happened. I don't think the penalty check ever happened because it was flagged offside, and for some reason they didn't check the offside. 
I don't know. B B was an offside, and then no, no, no. no, no but not, he I'm was flagged contra- offside, wasn't he? No, I'm, he was flagged offside. Contra- I'm not being contrary, but you just like you you assume that VAR gets. Yeah, one, no, I'm not saying. I'm just I'm right. just saying. I don't think they they looked at the offside. I think they, mm. you know, I thought I don't think they. It was even checked the offside. They didn't check the penalty, so therefore they didn't check the offside. I don't, I don't understand why. Um, the only thing I would say, and from again from being behind the goal, I did think I did think it was like, oh yeah, he's offside, um, and so I was less outraged by the fact that it wasn't penalty. But you know, having seen it back, it's just like well, he was, he was clearly not offside. So why was the penalty not checked? And I doubt we'll ever know. Mm, yeah, a bit frustrating, but again, it's one of those things. We're in the Premier League, and like I said, some of them go your way, some of them don't. But listen, you know, we've been talking about what's happened on the pitch here. We're talking about penalties that we should have had or shouldn't have had. What we will talk about is we'll talk about the possession and the great chances that we had. Like we had massive chances. If you want to talk about XG, we're going to go over to Will, the spreadsheet winker, who's going to give us the statistical rundown on that Chelsea match. Spreadsheet winker, So what do we need to know about Chelsea then? Moving up to fifth, yes that's right, fifth in the Justice League now, with Chelsea down in eighth still. It's our largest disparity in XG all season. We've won games by two goals this term by creating much less. We also pressed a lot less than usual, and so did Chelsea who dropped off hugely in the second half, allowing us to get most of our shots in XG in the last 20 minutes of the game. We actually only had two shots worth 0.16 XG before the 73rd minute. So that's to send a message to other teams. If you sit off us, we'll create massive chances against you, even if you defend deep. We also forced a massive 44 clearances from Chelsea, more than double the average opposition teams have had against us this year. In contrast, we only had to make four, 16 less than average this season highlighting just how dominant we were both in attack and defence in that match. We absolutely smashed them. A fairness rating of about 30% seems exactly right to me. So there you go, Will, the spreadsheet winker. And he, well, basically, you know, we're, we're up to love or hate the Justice League, as they call it. We're up to fifth in the Justice League now, and Chelsea are down in eighth still. So we're actually above Chelsea in the Justice League, and I think it probably goes to show you, you know, what the difference is. You know, they got the ball, banged it in the back of the net. They literally had nothing, Chelsea, in that game, and we absolutely hammered them. If you, if, if we were going to, you know, use that as a barometer, you know, 4-1 probably should have been the score. 3-1, maybe 4-1. Of course, I know it didn't happen, and it's all about putting the ball in the back of the net. Yes, that's, of course, that's, of course that's true. But the fact is that we created enough to have won that much match without a shadow of a doubt and I know a lot of people say if there was another goalkeeper in we probably would have won it I'd say probably if we had that same goalkeeper in on another day we would have won it as well because yeah he's great sometimes people just have a storming day and that goalkeeper just had the bit between his teeth you know Mendy and he had a storming day that day and it's quite frustrating like you know so uh, like I said to you um, yeah but you know interestingly he said that we pressed a lot less than usual as did Chelsea and in the second half like you know <laughs> they, they just dropped off on us like you know and we, we absolutely hammered them in that second game but Laney I mean it's in a way, it's it's one of the things. No, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair at all. It wasn't fair. If you listen to the weekend review podcast, we've got our little fairness, and we all we all do our scores where we actually work out how fair or fair the result and the score is. And uh, and we all went out there. We all knew, even uh, even Chidge 
from the Chelsea uh, fan cast as well. They put their uh, their scores in there as well. And I have to say, Lady, to be fair, you came uh, you came almost spot on with your thirty percent on the fairness front, which means that it was actually not very fair at all. I went forty two percent, and Briggsy B went forty five percent as well. But uh, it come out on the Info Goal this week, thirty one point seven on the fairness rating. And the next game after us was actually Arsenal versus Crystal Palace where uh, that was a, a last-minute draw as well, and that was a 68.2 sort of in the yellow moving into the sort of red zone. You know, so 31 to 68, nearly 70%. Basically, ours was so massively unfair compared to that Arsenal-Crystal Palace game. And I know my Palace fans were absolutely they were in tears after that game because they thought that they should have got something out of that. So could you imagine how we should be feeling? Mm. Like, you know, Ali... Um, it, it, it wasn't fair, was it? No, 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 it wasn't fair. Um, I, I think, uh, I think, if I'm honest, the draw would probably have been fair, fair result. Um, I don't think we did enough in the first half, really, to to over the first half, the first hour, really, to win it. I think the last twenty minutes, yeah, we could have scored two, two, three goals. Um, I, I no, it was absolutely not fair, and I would even have gone as high as thirty percent personally. Yeah, and you know, just 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 to give a little rundown of that game, you know, we created a large number of chances relative to our position. We created uh, goal scoring opportunities from set pieces. We were poor at finishing. We lost possession <laughs> often, and we gave away a lot of free kicks around the box. Chelsea, what their strengths were, they actually had no significant strengths according to uh, to who scored, and also they were caught offside often. They favoured long shots, attacked down the right side, and favoured through balls. So. So kind of Chelsea, you know, you can actually say they've had an off day or you could say that actually we didn't allow them to play their game. But, you know, it's one of those things where it's one of those results that didn't quite go our way. You can argue that West Ham did go our way. Ooh. So if you're spinning it over a season, then maybe we could say, OK, fair enough. We got we got away with one and we didn't get away with another. So uh, so thank you very much, um, this Will, the spreadsheet winker, for just giving us the lowdown there. We're going to get, get back a little bit later to talk about Leicester. But I tell you what, we've talked and, and Leicester and Leicester. We've talked enough about Chelsea. Okay, we're going to put them to bed. Come back to them a bit later in the season. We're going to go to JB because he's going to give us some facts and some funk about all sorts of stuff. Here's JB. Are you ready for this? I told you it was coming. Who? JB, and he's ready to stock it to you one time. Hello, Jonathan Virgil here again. The defeat to Chelsea on Saturday saw our team line up with not a single player having played in the Premier League last season. Ben Chilwell scored, having done likewise for England in his previous game. But that's not the first time that's happened in our top flight seasons. Back in April 1937, Fred Steele scored England's consolation goal in a 3-1 defeat against Scotland, and then scored a hat-trick against us in a 5-1 defeat. Then later in December that year, legendary winger Stanley Matthews scored a hat-trick for England in a 5-4 win over Czechoslovakia and then followed it up with two against us in a 3-0 defeat. On both occasions, our matches were away at Stoke City, where of course we have never won. Thomas Frank has now completed his third year in charge, and Saturday's match ended, as did the first, in a 1-0 defeat. Sergi Canos playing in both. As we know, Thomas is only the second manager or head coach to lead us to the top tier in 101 years since joining the Football League something that 37 others failed to achieve. But his first 10 league games in charge produced just 4 points from a possible 30, which was the worst start of any of the 39. But probably the big news on Saturday was the opening of the new B Superstore. Our shop next to the Princess Royal had been there since 2005, having previously been in a porter cabin in Braemar Road, Forecourt from 1984. 
The first clothes shop was such, opened in 1968 under the name of Bertie B's Bazaar, where you could order badges, rosettes, photos and inscribed ballpoint pens, but they took six to eight weeks to arrive. So there you go, JB. Were you feeding those facts and funk, Lane? I love, I love his facts. I'm not quite so keen on his funk, if I'm honest with you. But that's, <laughs> that's just me. That's just me. Ali, you like a bit of funk? Uh, I'm rather with Dave on his funk. I have to say, I did like the facts about the shop, though. You're not digging his funk, Ali. You're not, I'm not digging, digging his, his funk. funk. <laughs> I'm too old. I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the B. In fact, the B Superstore actually a, a, a cup shop N, you know, who actually worked in the original sort of not the original, not the Bertie's Bazaar, which was like you know, mm-hmm. it took about four years for you to actually get anything <laughs> sort of kind of you ordered it from there. But you know, the club shop Anne when she worked in the B Store, which actually was probably slightly more uh, efficient, I would say, when the club shop Anne was working there as well in the Porter Cabin, which was in the which was in the forecourt of uh, Bra- of Braemar Road. But she worked there for for years as well, and like I said, she, she still goes to games, and she's doing all right. Right, so yeah, I, I, I like the shop facts as well, Laney as well. I think we all, you know, it's like forget the football. Let's talk about the shop, right? Anyway, Billy's Billy's bizarre. That's right, <laughs> very very bizarre indeed. Can we, sorry, Bill. Can we ask them to find out how long it took them to build that shop? Because it just seemed to suddenly appear like it had been dropped in from outer space or something. One day it was there, it wasn't there, the next day it was there. Did you go to the, because I actually went to the shop actually, the daughter Bella, she said with her friends they wanted to go and see it because they just thought it was so bizarre that, you know, all of a sudden she goes, what the hell's that? And I said, oh, it's a new shop. She goes, where did it come from? <laughs> it's, I said, it's a very... Just fell off the other floor. I cannot actually answer that for you, but um, but we, we shall find out actually. What we'll do actually in a few weeks' time, we've got John Varney, the Brentford uh, CEO, who's going to be on the podcast as well, friend of the podcast as well, as you know, asked to come on and said, listen, listen, we've got to come We've got to go down the pub. He goes, and yeah, everyone else does it down the pub. So I've got to go down the pub and do the podcast. We said, that's fine, John. So which is all good. So we're going to get him on in a few weeks' time and we can ask him exactly on this construction of that sort of a pop up um, club shop. Maybe they put some seeds, like, you know, put seeds down, put some water on it, and then it's just gone up maybe but you know but when I went there actually I did go and I did actually start knocking on the side to actually kind of see <laughs> what it's made of you know whether it was sort of plasterboard or whether it was sort of kind of like paper or something like that so maybe it sort of comes down after each match and then they, they put it up again like you know so it really is a pop-up but um, it's like a bouncy castle <laughs> that's right but the one thing I will say is actually it actually does um it does um signpost Brentford because the thing about Brentford is that unless you're on the M4 you, you see Brentford as you pass, but if you're on the A4, you don't really know Brentford's there. You know, you, you go past the Sega building and you, you can see, oh, Brentford, but not really. But all of a sudden now you've got this bang, this big construction right by the side of the road there, which says, bang, Brentford. This has got something to do with Brentford. So people actually know that Brentford is in and around there. So if anything, you know, a bit of signposting. If they were very clever as well, they could put some adverts on the side there as well and sell them because it's on their very expensive M4 motorway. You know, like when I was working for the Bats Apollo and they used to basically, that signage used to be worth a lot of money because lots of cars go there. So maybe, 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 maybe a bit of some sort of advertising. Or maybe, Laney, you can maybe stand outside of it with some sort of placard over your, well, like, over like your a, body. Well, like a golf yeah. thing, like a golf sale. That's I'm not, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting naked on the A4, Bill. Sorry. <laughs> no, but anyway, listen. N- not about, again. Um, <laughs> yeah, not again. No, no. Talking about, you know, uh, talking to business, we're going to well, take a little bit of a break. We're going to have a little bit of a drink. We're going to come back and we're going to talk Leicester. So we've got Leicester coming down to New Griffin Park. They're coming down. We're playing them for the third time in 
couple of years, I think it is. I mean, it's like this is like it's, it's boring playing Leicester. I mean, all these other teams we haven't played them for years or never played them at all. But Leicester, we seem to play. Can we play you every week, as they say? But listen, you know, even though we played Leicester, probably what's a year about a year ago in the FA Cup. Again, they beat us twice in the FA Cup in, in quick succession. Things have changed a little bit with Leicester, so we thought we need to get a little bit of info on what's going down in Leicester. So we spoke to James Thorpe. He's a Leicester fan and he's a podcaster as well. And he's giving us the lowdown on Leicester. Hello to Billy and everyone listening. My name is Jamie Thorpe. I'm a lifelong season ticket holder and recently podcaster turned broadcaster, mainly rambling about all things Leicester City. Um, It's been an incredible journey as a Leicester fan in my lifetime. I've witnessed five promotions, four relegations and seen us lift six trophies from places such as Yeovil all the way to Copenhagen. So it certainly has had its moments. I think it's fair to say that we've kicked on since the 2013-14 season when we won the championship. Uh, We had the famous heartbreak the year before in the playoffs. There's absolutely no chance that that you guys haven't seen the knockout penalty and subsequent Dini goal just yet. But that turned out to be the best thing that could have ever happened to us as it absolutely spurred us on and we romped home in the league the following season, topping the table with over 100 points and things looked pretty bright heading into the Premier League. But as a lot of teams find, it's an incredibly tough league and it wasn't exactly a smooth sailing throughout the season. We started reasonably well. Uh, We lost only once in our first five games, which included that famous 5-3 win over Man United. Um, But then we went on an absolutely torrid run. We won only two of our next 24 games and unsurprisingly, found ourselves rooted to the bottom of the table from November and looked dead and buried. Seven points adrift from safety with only nine games to play. Not many teams have come back from something like that. But more surprisingly was that in that run, we'd actually played pretty well. Um, but we couldn't seem to get that little bit of luck to take us from losing games by these very, very fine margins that exist in the Premier League to to turning them into draws or wins. But what followed was the greatest of great escapes, in my view. Uh, we won seven of our last nine and actually finished in 14th. Um, but what changed for me in that, which I think is very, very important for teams in their first season is that we played without fear and that doesn't mean going all out attack and sort of going toe to toe with the big boys and trying to out punch them because you'll never do that but it means that when teams are so focused on being defensively sound they can often play within themselves and the being in the Premier League is all about not being afraid to try things I mean you look at Sheffield United's first season for example they were they were brilliant and um, they brought a new system and they and they reaped the benefits but it was their second season where things started to go wrong and they moved away from that that it all sort of fell apart. So in my view, part of Brentford's outstanding start is your willingness to play your own brand and to, and to not be afraid to try things. So it's been really refreshing to see. Um, and obviously, aside from um, the weekend's game, um, long may it continue. Um, so what followed for Leicester um, has been immensely well documented. Um, I'll frankly never tire of talking about that immense um, winning title winning season. Um I mean, Nigel Pearson sacking at the start of that year was unfortunate and pretty much every Leicester fan credited him with laying the foundations of our success. But Ranieri's impact was huge. He made the most of our squad and built a real team unit, one that worked hard but had those moments of sheer quality within them. So everyone knows about Riyad Mahrez and Jamie Vardy that year. They were simply unplayable at times, but they were able to flourish thanks to the hard work of players such as Danny Simpson and Mark Albrighton and obviously the machine that is N'Golo Kante. 
And we fully deserved to win that win the league that year. Any talk of it being a lucky title is absolutely nonsense. Um, the stars certainly aligned in certain ways, but there were so many huge performances throughout the year, such as the three-one away win at Man City. And I think you need to pick up the odd surprise result in order to be successful. And that was certainly certainly something that we did. Um, since then, since title win, we were we were inconsistent with a lot of managerial changes, some great signings, some poor ones. But under Rogers, things certainly seem to have clicked. Last season, it's not hard to guess which parts I'm less unhappy with and which parts I'm over the moon about. Um, it was something of a carbon copy of the season before. We were outstanding for a vast majority of the season. Uh, we put five past Man City away, which was a particular highlight. Uh, Vardy continued to excel. Yuri Tillemans' rapid development continued. And in James Justin, I felt that we had one of the best young defenders in the Premier League. Things were looking pretty rosy, but our horrendous injury record, which I don't think was spoken about in nearly the same sort of terms as as the likes of Liverpool's, um, eventually caught up with us. We've obviously got a much thinner squad than teams at the top end of this table. And when you go through our back sort of six, we were missing every single one of them at stages in the season. Um, the likes of Evans, obviously Justin picked up a pretty nasty, nasty injury. So Unchu was out, Madison was out, Indeed he was out, Vardy missed games. And we struggled towards the end of the season, missed out on, on the top four for the second season in a row very late on. But ultimately, whilst that is disappointing, we need to probably acknowledge that being without key players for us for huge portions of the season and getting us set and doing well and getting ourselves into the conversation about mixing with the traditional big six is progress and it is success, even though it's not quite what I felt like we deserved throughout the course of the season. But to sort of very much mitigate that disappointment. We did finally, finally, finally win the FA Cup after after losing the final so many times. We held the unenviable record of being the team to have lost the final the most without winning it. We finally got that trophy and it was a hugely special day. Um, the final was also the first game with a decent number of f- fans in it for a long time. Um, I lost my voice for three to four days following the game. It was incredible and what a goal to win it as well. So all in all... Hard to be disappointed with a season like that. What Brendan Rodgers has done for me and what he's very, very good at is his player development. Um, the improvement in some of our players, such as Wilfred indeed, has been absolutely incredible. Uh, but he's also changes from a side that's able to use the ball in a number of different ways. We've got players that can play on the counter-attack with pace, like Barnes and Vardy, move the ball ever, ever so quickly. Um, Adam Ola-Luckman's come in this season and look very, very bright. But he's had to transition us into a side that is comfortable with the ball and able to break down defences. And this was ultimately what Craig Shakespeare and Claudio Ranieri struggled to do. They were very, very good at organising a team on the counter and hence why they both picked up some some wins in big games. But against a packed defence, against a team that was happy to let us have the ball, we, we struggled. So in Rodgers, we have a more tactically astute and tactically flexible manager. Um, he's also by far and away the highest profile manager we've ever had at the club um, in terms of his reputation alone. And But his record with us is absolutely fantastic. Um, he's got the greatest win percentage of any manager. He's obviously won the Premier League, um, sorry, the FA Cup and the Community Shield with us. Not quite young, won the Premier League yet, imagine that. Um, but it's hard not to be pleased with the job he's doing. But the goal this year for us has got to be just to target the top six. I think the investments made by... The bigger clubs have uh, sort of on the way to creating a another Super League within the Premier League, if you ask me. And it's going to make 
any team breaking into the top four is going to make that immensely challenging. So I think if we can get ourselves into the best of the rest, um, then I'll count that as a huge, huge success. A lot will depend on our injury record again and how we manage um, playing in Europe. Um, hopefully we get a bit further than we did last year. Um, but I do think that when, when fit, um, when firing, we've got an 11 that can mix it with any team in the league realistically. Yes, it was a horrendous, horrendous accident um, and a huge gut blow to anyone associated with Leicester and indeed the wider footballing community. Um, what Vichai achieved is is incredible. Um, people roundly almost mocked him and when he said he wanted Premier League football within five years and into European football in five years, sorry, and in that time we'd, we'd achieved that and then some. Um, and he put Leicester on the map in creating what is one of the greatest sporting stories of all time. And one of the things which I think endeared him to other fans is that it gave other fans of, of other clubs the hope that actually you never know in football and things you can never say never. Um, but more than this, more important, even more important than than what they what he achieved was the manner in both which himself and his son top who's carrying on his father's legacy absolutely magnificently it's how they handle themselves around the club they actively embrace the club's history its values and the wider community they developed facilities at the club for not only just the players but the fans um enhance the experience of match days in ways both big and small um there's obviously the very famous small tokens of their appreciation such as the free beers which which do make a big difference they don't have to do that not many other clubs do 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 that um but then there's the bigger acts of philanthropy such as the one million pound donation to the lesser children's hospital which vichai was was not planning on publicizing but was eventually picked up on and it's little things like that truly being bothered about the community and what what matters to the fans and he was also or very very famously happy to stop and chat to any fan um which for a player for a person in his position is is a, is a mark of the respect of, of, of the man and the way that the entire football community came together after the disaster was was incredibly touching um i was around the stadium a bit a fair bit after after it happened with all the tributes and um i think it's a mark of how well respected he was and i know it meant a lot to fans of the club and i'm sure it meant a lot to to those nearest and dearest him as well so it's great to see that we are carrying on his legacy and 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 long may that continue um, yes, I mean, the word legend is, is very much overused in today's footballing language, but Vardy really, really is a legend of the game. To come in to Premier League football so late um, and to have the record that he does is is absolutely phenomenal. There aren't many players still achieving his sort of levels at his age. Um, and aside from being, you know, a golden boot winner, Premier League winner that's adapted his game tremendously well to one of the toughest leagues in the world, He's a complete talisman for us as a team. He's held in a high regard by both fans and players and it tends to be that when he's on form, we're on form. Um, and his sort of attitude towards away fans is um, is pretty well documented. So I would advise against trying to trying to wind him up. And I mean, this season, he's level on goals with Mo Salah um, at a time when Mo Salah is quite rightly being held up as one of the best footballers in the world um and I th- um, and to be honest we haven't really been that good this season so that speaks volumes for how how well he's been doing um in terms of if anyone could 
could sort of take you know start to take his place. Ian Atro is still tremendously underrated in in my view. Um, his goal involvements per minute record is sensational, and we are actually a better team with him in it. I don't think it's any coincidence that we played so well last game when we started with him and Vardy up front together. They're they're a tremendous partnership. Um, so, but the way that he plays is different. He's, he drops much deeper. So it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if he's to be the successor. And in terms of the rest of our squad, we've got some we've got some very talented players. Yuri Tillemans is an obvious one. It pains me to admit he's likely destined to play at one of Europe's biggest clubs. Um, so I think that we want to get out of him as much as we can while we still have him at the club. To be honest, um, the injury to. Wesley Fofana in pre-season was really cruel. Um, this was going to be a massive season for him. He's he's only 20 years old, but he's been he plays like he's been in the Premier League for years. Um, so he's a he's an incredible talent to to keep an eye on. Um, the player who's sort of come in for a little bit of criticism so far this season is James Madison. Um, he needs to hit a run of form in, against Man United in our last game. He was he was fantastic. So if we can get him back to the level where where he's played before and where he was getting himself into the sort of conversation with England, then I think I think that we could go on and have a better season. But to be honest, it sort of quite quite nicely sums up how our season's been. Um, it's not been a good start for us at all. We've really struggled for anything approaching form. Um, injuries again playing their part. We're missing James Justin, obviously Fafana, who I've mentioned, and but Johnny Evans being out's been really keenly felt. He's Marshall at the back, and I think for three and a half million he's probably one of the best um best bargain signings in the premier league um for for a long time um and it seemed like we haven't really been able to hit our rhythm attacking play has been a bit disjointed we, we've turned it on in flashes but never really done anything consistent and then the man united game happened and we were absolutely outstanding from start to finish we outplayed them don't listen to gary neville um <laughs> i like him as a pundit but did not agree with what he was saying at all it was not simply down to man united being being the worst team and not not having a game plan we were brilliant um samare who was a summer signing um it was his best game in a leicester shirt madison's best game in a while tillemans was outstanding so when that midfield three and that central unit fire it looks like that is the way to get us into a game um, I'm hugely looking forward to the game against Brentford, although I'm much more nervous about it than I thought I would be. I mean, stylistically, both teams are quite similar in how they approach the game, um, but I feel like an open match suits us very well indeed. Uh, I would obviously keep an eye on Vardy, of course. He, he doesn't need many opportunities to impact the game. In fact, he can sometimes seem to not be hugely involved, but he'll still pop up with a goal here and there. Um, from a Brentford point of view, it's been brilliant to watch watch your start to the season um, Tony and Mbwemo are the obvious danger men um, for, for obvious reasons um, I think Tony settled in well his style of play seems well suited to the Premier League and obviously Mbwemo has, has been pretty pretty unlucky I think it's right I'm right in saying that he's hit the woodwork more times than any other club in the league this season so I'll be keeping an eye on him um, and I think that their sort of way of playing feeds into where we're probably the weakest at the minute um depending on who we have who we have fit if Evans is out again then realistically we're going to be starting our third and fourth choice centre-backs and that's without the cover of the excellent Wilfred Ndidi who's likely injured so central areas could be the one where you get some joy and I think it will be I think it'll be a really really intriguing game um and one that I'm, I'm looking forward to watching 
I'm going to try and be as optimistic as I can. Um, hopefully we come through Wednesday's game in Russia unscathed and without more injuries. And I'm very much hoping that we carry some momentum forward from the game on Saturday and, and, and get and keep that keep that going in the right direction. So I'll be as optimistic as I can and say that it'll be a close a close Leicester win and I'll go with 2-1. Um, hugely, hugely looking forward to watching it um, and best of luck to, to you for the rest of the season. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. So there you go, James Thorpe, Leicester fan, and we're going to check him out on Sunday, have a few beers with him, and uh, he'll be able to give us a bit more of a lowdown as well. Leicester City, team that I was worried about playing because, you know, potentially top four side last season, didn't start off quite the way that, you know, they thought they are going to start or we thought they are going to start. And after our start... I was probably a little less nervous about playing them than I was three or four weeks ago. However, it's still going to be a tough game, isn't it, Ali? Oh, very much so. I think they've, they've uh, uh, like you said, they had a slow start, but I think they've hit their form. Um, I watched most of their game against uh, United at the weekend, um, and they were they were pressing very high. We're not going to get we're not going to get much space and time on the ball. I don't think if they play that way, um, I think it could be a very exciting game for the neutral. A very stressful game for those of us who aren't neutral. Um, I, 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 I'm. I think it's a tougher match than it would have been two weeks ago. And I uh, see they they won. A, they came back from two 0 down in the Europa League tonight and won four three. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're they're looking quite good on it. Good at the moment. Laney, I mean Leicester. I'm just looking. You know, where they're good at finishing scoring chances. They're good at attacking down the wings. Good at creating chances through individual skill. They're good at coming back from losing positions. Good at defending set pieces. But where they're weak, they're good, weak at protecting the lead, stopping opponents from creating chances, avoiding fouling in dangerous areas, defending corner attacks, aerial duels, avoiding individual areas, and very weak at defending against attacks down the wings. So there's a little light at the end of the tunnel there, isn't it? Yeah, there are. Um, f- from what I've seen in the last couple of games, as Ali said, they've come from 2-0 down to win four. So uh, they're leaky at the back and, and potent up front. Um, but they've scored eight goals in two games, which is obviously, you know, the alarm bells are going. Um, it's a, a flip of the, the you know scores against uh, Manchester United at the weekend as well. So, you know... I, it, it does give me hope, you know. They, we've we've seen over the last two years. We got them in the FA Cup at the same stage, two years running. Beat us narrowly one nil two years ago, and they beat us three uh, one last January. Uh, they they proved to be just just better than better than us when we weaken our team. Um, it'll be interesting to see a full strength Brentford against a full strength Leicester. I think it's going to be very, very tight. It's going to. There, I think there will be a lot of goals in this. Um, it could be a high-scoring draw. Is, is my get? Is, is my hunch? Um, but we'll, we'll see. But Leicester have got a lot, lots to be concerned about. They've got a lot to be concerned about. We'll find out how much they've got concerned about, or how much we should be concerned of them. Because Will is back, and he's done. He's been in his lab. He's been punching out the numbers and working out the statistical lowdown on Leicester. Let's hear what Will has to say. About Leicester. Spreadsheet winker. So what do we need to know about Leicester then? They're 13th in the Justice League at the moment and have conceded 2.7 more XG than they've created in an average game. They created 2.7 against Man United, scoring four goals. 
That's the most they've created all season. And they've created more than 1.5 XG in three out of their last four games. In that time, they've conceded more than one XG in every game aside from one. That was against Burnley. We know how jammy they can be. And they conceded two goals in each of their last four games. So they seem to be getting better in front of goal, but their defence is still very, very leaky. They're also incredibly reliant on Jamie Vardy in terms of XG. He's got the highest XG per game in the squad at 0.46, with the next highest only 0.16. Meaning on average, he scores only once every eight games, whereas Vardy should score in every other match. If we can keep him quiet, and if we can stop Tielemann shooting from range, where he scored two goals from 1.39 XG this season, we'll go some way towards stopping them. But it's going to be difficult. Anyone who creates 2.78 XG against Man United's defence is pretty decent. So will the spreadsheet winker on Leicester there? Uh, 13th in the Justice League again if you believe in that kind of stuff basically they conceded 2.7 more XG than they've created so basically they can be got at Leicester you know and uh, again it's one of those things where what we've seen to be do is that we, we play against teams who seem to create sort of high XG but we, we so far have managed to sort of kind of hold them off like you know so whether or not Leicester who are very good at creating chances as whether or not our defence is be able to hold them off and then we can nick a chance or nick a goal here or there or maybe score the three goals that we should have scored against Chelsea. Um, we shall we shall see. Like you know, so um, against Man United, and I know Ali, you said that they were you know very good. You know they they created two point seven eight xG against Man U, and they scored four goals. But that is the most they have created all season. So whether or not they're like I said coming into their own, or whether or not you know as the as, uh, who is it said about Man United and and uh, and uh, was it the Chelsea podcast saying that Brentford are better than Man United? We haven't said that at all. It was the Chelsea podcast who was doing the comparison. So whether or not that is a scenario that's coming to fact, we don't know. But um. Just listening to those stats, I mean, Ali, I'm just going to ask you, I mean, we're going around the table here. How are you feeling for this Sunday? And just give us a thought and a score that you think that we might get. And I'm saying that like touching wood a little bit now because things have been going quite well so far. We don't want to, we don't want to jinx it, do we? Um, no, I'm fairly confident, actually, about Sunday. Um, I, I think we'll, uh, we'll get a result and I think... Uh, I'm going to go for. I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, like Laney says. You've got two uh, sides that will attack um, and press high. I think there's a lot of goals in it. I, I, I think it's it's three two Bs for me. Three two, and, and I'm just going to come to because obviously, you know, um, the, 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 James talked a lot about their players and you know the players to look out for. I mean, Jamie Vardy. We all know about him. He's been there. You know, it's a bit cliche just to talk about Jamie Vardy, but the reason why we need to talk about him is he's the highest goal scorer. He scored seven goals so far this season. You know, the second highest goal scorer after that is Tielemans with two. You know, so in a way, you're sort of thinking, well, if you keep Vardy quiet, then you know you might have a bit of a chance. Do you do you think that? I think that it's it's a bit. I think a lot of people would, you've got to be careful saying things like that because I think a lot of people would have said before this season start. Oh, you keep Tony quiet. Tony doesn't score. You, you're going to beat Brentford. They're not going to score. And you know that's not been the case. So I, I, I think we have to be very careful about about saying things like that. Um, yes, we do need to keep Vardy quiet. But you can't just focus solely on him. And I don't think we will. I think defensively we're pretty strong. Uh, I think Pontus has been magnificent particularly in the Chelsea game. Um, he did an absolute number on Lukaku and uh, I think he'll probably, the, the defence will probably hopefully be able to keep Vardy relatively quiet. Laney, I'm going to ask you, I mean, this Leicester game's coming up here on Sunday and uh, we've got a, a few injuries. You know, let us presume that, you know, Yen out and Risa is going to be out. 
Would you stick with the same team that we started with against Chelsea, which includes Jensen? And if you listen to the Sunday Review podcast as well, Jensen was actually given a stinker for 45 minutes of the 90 minutes of his performance as well. So there's a question mark as to whether or not Jensen should or shouldn't be in uh, the starting lineup. I'm just wondering, would you start with the same team, Laney? Uh, yeah, I probably would. I, I think this is this is arguably more more a game for 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 Jensen than, than Chelsea. I, I think I think we're going to have periods of the game where we're we're dictating play, we're attacking. I think Chelsea was all about absorbing their threat. Um, I, th- I, th- I think we'll we'll be able to kind of be more in this game from the beginning, if that makes sense. And you know, and I, I hear what you say about Jamie Vardy. I've got the most respect for him. He's, he's an incredible player. Um, he'll be involved at some stage. Don't you worry. Um, you know, Pats and Dacker's the one we need to be concerned about on form. He scored four tonight. He scored one against Man United, so he scored five in two games, and they have had 38 shots in in the last two games. So that they are they are going to create opportunities, um, and we we need to we need to frustrate. So that that's what, that that's the the genius that is that our coaches and Thomas Frank and their tactics they need to work out a way of negating. Score prediction, Laney. Um, Ali's gone three two already. So I'll probably go two one Brentford. And Ali, just quickly, would you play uh, Jensen? Uh, yeah, Jensen. Yes or no? It's what system we're playing. If we're if we're playing the three five two, no. If we're going to play uh, the way we we finished the match on the, uh, at the weekend against Chelsea, then I would. Okay, all right. So you've just sat on the fence on that one, haven't you? <laughs> no, it depends on the system. It absolutely depends on the system. I don't think he's suited to the three-five-two. Okay, all right. Okay, and for me, I'm going to go two-one Mighty Bees as well. I'm going to keep up my thing of trying to come up with the results to give us a positivity as well. I think that we'll uh, we pull out the bag and defence will do the business as well. So, uh, looking forward to that game Sunday. We'll be in the pubs nice and early as they are. I think. I think. Well, I thought those are open early actually for breakfast as well. So I think they've got an early license as well. So if you want to get down the globe a bit early as well, they're open early for breakfast. But listen, this is the besotted Pride of West London podcast thank you very much for listening thank you very much for giving your reviews thanks for just coming up to us and telling us that you love the podcast even at fisher loads of people coming up to us say oh thanks we listen to the podcast we love it so thank you very much for listening i'll say that we got uh laney lane in the house good evening we got ali malali in the house hello and my name is billy grant and i've enjoyed sitting here and just letting it off about the chelsea and talking about the leicester and very good don't forget to subscribe to us on all good podcast channels don't forget to if you want to buy us a beer besotted.com forward slash beer as well buy us a beer <laughs> and also to you like thank you very much i'm going to see you all on sunday it's a nice early start on sunday we get a two o'clock game and fingers crossed we get three points we'll be back there again bit of sunday lunch bit of sunday lunch come on you bees Come on, you bees. Come on, you bees. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.